The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. There was a singer named Mario Lanza, and before he got up and sang one of the great tenors of all time, he would stand like this, and he'd march around, because he was a boxer, he'd get ready. I used to wrestle, and before you wrestle, those of you that, anybody wrestle here? I don't want to wrestle you, you kick me in certain places. But the, the uh, yeah, you're out there, and you'd go out, and you'd warm up, and you'd get ready, especially right before the match, you're there in front of all your friends and family. <laughs> Gosh, and he hangs like that in front of his people, naked, pierced, and for what? For my sin, for my sin. There is no greater love than this, that a man would give up his life for his friends, and that's, I'm sorry guys, what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. You know, this morning, um, I'm going to uh, talk about Thomas, and uh, I think some of you will identify with this. I think the Holy Spirit is going to speak to some hearts this morning, probably already is. But belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not simply an intellectual formula His life coming into man changes us from darkness to light, from sorrow and ugliness to glory. C.S. Lewis, who I'll talk about in a minute, said as he came up in his singleness and his genius and his craziness, he was filled with a zoo of lusts. He couldn't fix himself. He couldn't put himself together. But brick by brick and moment by moment, Jesus Christ put his life back together, belief in the resurrection of Christ, that point that he came to after a clear examination of the scriptures and the evidence for the Lord Jesus coming, changed him from the inside out, and in so changing him, changed his world. He became the second most heard voice in England during World War II. The first one, Winston Churchill. The second one, C.S. Lewis. (laughs) because we're living in tough times. I weep for Ukraine, don't you? Is there anybody that sits by their TV and weeps over their condition like me? What's the answer? And the question is more properly posed, who is the answer? And the answer is Jesus Christ. It is people lost in atheism and darkness that are putting this forward on their fellow men, brothers and sisters made in the image of God and tormented by their own humankind. Belief in the resurrection, however, changes lives. There's a man named Thomas we're going to note here this morning. And he was there, or in close proximity, when they crucified our Lord, so, so were others. But the point of the message this morning is you can be resurrected with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, a man who was persecuted by everyone, and yet he stepped up 
and wrestled not flesh and blood, but angels and principalities and powers in order that Christ be proclaimed to his generation because of love. Now, he said this in 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Gospel means good news. And in which you stand and by which you are being saved. Saved means being made whole. This is God's plan. This is the love of God. This is the great physician coming to you and putting things back together. Those of you who have been broken like I have, both physically and and emotionally, can know of a certainty that when he comes into you, the great physician is there and available, and by which you are being saved, made whole, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless this stuff doesn't matter. It's not important. Paul is saying it's vitally important. It's eternally important. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The Scriptures at that time were the Old Testament. And they declared he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace was brought by him. And with his stripes we've been healed. And it also talks about in Psalm 22 that he hung on a cross and there were people gambling. This was written hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus. God saw it. God spelled it out. A Savior is coming to fix you, to put you back together if you have been broken. First importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was the Messiah who was to come to save, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, one of the main um, uh, disciples, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500. Let me say that again. And then a man who had been dead and buried When a tombstone was rolled away from his cubicle, if you will, he comes out and over 500 people bore witness to him. And and the thing is, they saw him. And they were willing to go and die for him. There's a space here where everyone's confused. They didn't know why he came. He came to die for the sins of man. He was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. He comes He comes out of the tomb. They see him in different places for a period of time after he was dead and buried. And those who saw him, some poor, some needy, some all of a sudden begin to leave their jobs, change their whole lifestyle. Everything about them begins to change because they have seen the risen Lord and they spend the rest of their life and change their world by going out and telling people a man was dead, buried, tormented, and wondrous. But I saw him after being buried alive. I saw him. Now, if that was a lie, if they made that up, then why were they willing to be tortured, beaten, enslaved? Why did they have every indignity put upon them as they would go to places like this? I believe that I saw Jesus, a man, come out of a grave and he's alive and walking around. I saw him and not only that, his spirit is in me and he changes lives dramatically. It's a miraculous thing. He is alive. And they take that crazy guy out and put him in prison or beat him with whips 
And he would then come out, not chastened, but rather inspired to continue what he was doing because he knew one day he would be with the Lord. That this was just a moment in time, but Jesus Christ stretches before us eternity with him and changes us in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, from human to glorified, to beautiful, to wondrous. Then he appeared to James. James was Jesus' brother, natural brother, who was an, a leader in the early church. That to all the apostles, last of ma- apostles means messengers, those I was just describing. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, that's a messenger, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. No credit to Paul, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was, is with me. Why did he work so hard? Because he owed so much to the, his king and his Lord, the resurrected Jesus. There was a man whose name was Thomas. It says here in John chapter 20, on the evening of that day, the one we were just describing where Jesus came out of the tomb, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. This was deadly business for these people, disciples of Jesus. They had just seen their leader murdered. What was their fate going to be? Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be unto you. Uh, If I were, if my head were on the chopping block potentially for following Jesus, I would love it if the King of kings and Lord of lords would say, peace be unto you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands pierced. When the Jews said hands, this included the wrists. That was their figure of speech. Why do I say that? Because for a man to hang pierced, it wouldn't be here in the palms it would be right back here where the, 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 this crazy torture device would be planted so that he could hang there and be further tortured. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side where he'd been pierced with a lance. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They knew it was him, that he had been killed, and yet, miraculously, he was alive. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, immediately he gives them a commission. So I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You know, Thomas was not there for this moment. It says here in verse 24 of John 20, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And that's very interesting because there's a moment in the scriptures where uh, Lazarus has died. That's a friend of of Jesus. And Jesus is going to go to Judea, a very dangerous place for Jesus, to raise this guy from the dead. Oh my gosh, come on, Jesus. Seriously? Yes, seriously. He's going to raise this guy from the dead. And he asks his disciples to come with him. And they're like standing fast, not ready to go anywhere. And Thomas 
one of the true leaders, as best history can record, or the commentators say, was one of the leaders of this group, Peter Thomas. And Thomas says, he shows that in this moment. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. That's a bold and brassy guy right there. That's a strong man. But then it says in uh, verse 24 of John 20, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That night, he wasn't there. Now, this is not like him. He's the wrestler. He's the fighter. He's the scrapper. He's the leader. Something had happened to him. That something's happened to some of you in this room. You've been damaged. You've been beaten on. You've had enough. You, you, talk, you hear this, all this Jesus talk, but you don't see the reality in people. You're disappointed. Here, Thomas had put everything in his life on the, the presumption that Jesus Christ was going to be living and lead them to some kind of better future on earth. Well, perhaps he was not knowledgeable that there was a heavenly kingdom to be earned and built. But here he was, a devout follower of Jesus. And Jesus' death and torture, I, I, I would surmise, was too much for him. It was too much for him. Life had become too much for him. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He didn't want to be there. So the other disciples told him, we, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's been too much for him. He gave everything and he's bitterly disappointed and he thinks these guys have gone off. They're not off their mind. They're out of it. Many Christians are perceived that way. Understandably, we are a little crazy, let it be said. We certainly are needy, that's for sure. We are imperfect, yes, but we serve a perfect Savior who is beauty itself, and he deserves all our praise and thanksgiving. Unless these things happen, I will never believe. He joins a very broad company on that point of those who are bitter and disappointed. And I understand that. I didn't believe any of this stuff until Jesus made himself real to me. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace. Be with you. There it is again. Then he said to Thomas, he said, put your finger here. Now look, there's no reproach. He doesn't put him down for unbelief. He doesn't say, what's your problem? What's your problem? No, 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 no. He's, he's heard him. Omniscience has in some omni fashion heard Thomas's question. And Jesus loves him. He says, here, put your finger here. You want proof? You want something real? Touch this. And then he says, and put your hand in my side. Now understand, a lance had gone into him. It had pierced his heart. The pericardial sac had exploded and blood and water had flowed, as they say in the song, mingled down. And to reach into Jesus' side was to grasp his very heart. For this recalcitrant disciple, for this angry young man, he was willing to have him reach inside his person, 
to touch his very heart. That is not only bold symbolism, it was the reality of what he was willing to do in his love for his people. Do you know when you've done wrong, when you've gone away, where you have showed a, a certain disregard for the Lord Jesus, he loves you yet. And here's what you need to know. If you have doubts about anything I'm saying this morning, this is really clear. The Bible says in John in another place, if any man's will is to do his will, he will know whether Jesus' teaching is from God. If any man's will is to do his will, you will know whether the teaching here is from God. And what is further being stated, I would say, by my life experiences and what I use in sharing with people is, I understand you not believing in Christ because of me or my inability to communicate with you, but let me put this to you. I'm telling you that if you talk to him, he hears you and he will do something as witnessed by this moment. He knows your heart. He knows your questions. He knows your trials. And he's felt them all in the deepest place inside him, and loves you in spite of everything you've done. Loves you, loves you, loves you. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered in my, my Lord and my God. There was immediate transformation in his thinking and therefore his behavior. And to make a long story short, Thomas was used, some say, to reach the Parthians, a certain part of the world at that time, but ultimately went to India. That is not a story we can put full weight on. It is not scripture. It is not inspired. But he went out to change his world, commissioned and empowered by God Almighty. We all understand his misgivings because life can be horrible and tough. C.S. Lewis was married to a woman whose name was Joy Davidson. He had probably prayed for her for a long time, and I don't, I, some of you know the story. I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but he got married. He got married to a woman with children who had been through a, a horrible life, almost unbelievable. But because of that, that drove her inexorably to Jesus Christ and his help. She's a Jewish girl, and she gave her life wholeheartedly to Jesus in her own way, and she was ultimately brilliant like he was, and he was just so in love with her. They were meshed together like they'd been created for each other, and he married her very late in his life while she had cancer. And the cancer abated for a season, and then it came rocking back into her body with a vengeance. And although she maintained her faith in Jesus right as she was transported to that heavenly reality, Lewis was crushed, the great apologist, of World War II in the early 60s, he was crushed and despondent at the loss of his wife. Life can get very tough, as it did for Thomas, as maybe it's been for you. And so he wrote a book. It was a series of notes. It was called A Grief Observed. And it was him observing his own grief. I've read it. I've read parts of it several times. And it is agonizing to see an apologist for the faith lose that which is most precious to him, to have something so transcendent hurt and separate him from his beloved. So what happens at the end of the book is he has it published without his name because he's so confused as to how to convey what was frustration and heartache, and it was written for those who hurt, basically. 
And, and there is a somewhat happy ending, but it's a very intellectual tome. Here's the thing. He's Thomas, the supreme apologist of his day. He's a Thomas. C.S. Lewis. There was another young man whose name was, uh, is unknown, but William Barclay speaks of him in his commentary and talks about a man whose name was Robert McCaffrey Brown. The, the long story is this. McCaffrey Brown was a brilliant kind of scholar type and a, a Bible believer and a chaplain. And 1,500 Marines are coming back from uh, Japan. And this, this boy is among them. And McCaffrey, some, somewhere along the line, speaks of the resurrection, the, the renewal of life of Lazarus. Jesus coming in saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus comes out of the grave. And, and this one Marine knew that, that, of course, many of them knew that Jesus came out. But this one boy was an utter wreck. He had done stuff in Japan that were so awful and nobody knew about it, no one, that he could not deal with himself. He said, however, in that chapter about Lazarus, everything was pointing from him, this to him. This boy was from a good and loving family. But he'd done stuff that was horrible. And he could not face his family, and he was contemplating suicide because of what he'd done. After reading this chapter, he said, about resurrection, I have come alive again. He said, I know that this resurrection Jesus was talking about is real here and now, for he has raised me from death to life. That lad's troubles were not finished. He went on to uh, go along the hard road, maybe of confession, maybe of whatever. His life wasn't a simple walk from them, nor is any Christian life. But the idea of the resurrection gave him life and changed him from the inside out. Similar to what it did to the, the chaplain of the Senate, Peter Marshall. All the expectation in the world. He was at the top of the game and one of the finest preachers of the day. And he has a massive heart attack. And he sees his wife. And he goes, as he's taken out in an ambulance, I'll see you in the morning. She thought perhaps that meant he'd be alive in the morning. But those who were there at the scene and witnessed his tone said, felt it was more the idea of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus on the morning when he came out of the tomb. Peter Marshall was trying to say to her, honey, this life is over, but I'll see you in another more beautiful time. There was a man, to, just to show you how this affects everything in a human being's life, this resurrection life, this Jesus coming into a person. It doesn't just help a young Marine who's desperate and suicidal, nor simply uh, 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 Thomas with all of his doubts. There's a man named Coleman Mokler. If you read Good to Great, it's a wonderful business a book, and many of you have. I think the central character in the book is Mr. Mokler. He works for Gillette, and Gillette is going down, down, down. They're going to be bought out by bigger powers, and Mokler fights a, a fight to keep Gillette alive with hope and perseverance, and they said he had a gift. He had a gift for putting the right people in place. That's wonderful. 
And, and, and it's more than that. What he did revolutionized Gillette. There was something about the man and his approach to things and the people that he brought on board and the way he acted that was quite different and counterculture to the business world. And Gillette was transformed to, back a while ago, I'll say that very clearly, the best a man could get. He loved his family. He loved Harvard. He loved Gillette. But when he dies at age 61, you know what he did? He gave a massive amount of the money that he and his wife had earned to Gordon Conwell Seminary. And it was to create students there who would go into the business world and share Jesus Christ with that world because that's what Mochler, at the end of the day, was all about. Jim Collins, the writer of Good to Great, says this. He asked some people about the executive, how he succeeded. We all want to, we listen with bated breath, those of us that run companies. It says, how did he accomplish what he did? Oh, it really wasn't that hard for him. He was so good at assembling the right people around him and putting the right people in right slots and just didn't need to be there all hours of the day and night. That meant he could be home with his family. That was Coleman's whole secret to success and balance, releasing ministry, determining the right people and releasing them to it. The executive went on to explain he was just as likely to meet Mochler at a hardware store than at the office. But here is the bottom line secret of this. The executive's wife adds to what this man is saying. When Coleman died, we all went to the funeral. I looked around and realized how much Love was in the room. This was a man who spent nearly all his waking hours with people who loved him, who loved what they were doing, and who loved one another at work, at home, in his charitable work, wherever. Jesus Christ changes people from the inside out. Fact. Good to great. It wasn't that Mr. Mochler was great. It was his Savior was great. And through him, that electricity of Christ's life went into his corporation. When Jesus was crucified, discouraged disciples left. But when he rose from the dead, they were heroic tigers. Life had changed. Mr. Mochler was. Peter Marshall felt faced with death. Uh, 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 made a difference in his wife's life and left her with a positive memory that he would see her later on in the place where he had gone. But one guy that was radically changed, and I conclude with this, is a man named Lee Strobel. If you get any book by him, some of you know The Case for Christmas, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and in this case, The Case for Easter. He had been convinced, Lee Strobel, legal journalist, one of the finest writers in America and attorneys in a certain sense, journalistic attorneys, who wrote for the Chicago Tribune, says this, on November 8th, 1981, I talked with God after hearing the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in a heartfelt and unedited prayer admitting and turning from all my wrongdoing, I received the free gift of, a, of, of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. I told him that with his help, I wanted to follow him in his ways as best I could from that moment forward. Some people felt, feel a rush of emotion at such a moment. For me, he says, there was something equally exhilarating, the rush 
of reason. Looking back, I can see this was nothing less than the pivotal evident event of my entire life. Over time, my character, values, attitude, priorities, worldview, and relationships began to change. Now listen carefully, I conclude with, with this idea. He changed so much so that after a few months, after he became a follower of Jesus, as he says, our five-year-old daughter, Allison, who had previously only known a father who had been profane, angry, verbally harsh, drunken, and all too often absent, walked up to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. In effect, she was saying, if this is what God does to a human being, then that's what I want for me. Even at that early age, she experienced an authentic spiritual transformation that shines through her life to this day. The Bible says this as I conclude, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them power to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you receive him, and how do you receive him? You just ask him to come in. He's here right now. He promised that with two or three gathered in his name, he'd be there right in the midst. And he changes lives. And I've demonstrated it right here in the book in some of the prime lives of our time in a certain sense. This guy was, became one of the great apologists of our day. There's no question about it, Lee Strobel, because Jesus loved him. And his daughter saw the star fire of Christ's life inside him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands or any of that stuff. This is a transaction that happens in the heart. Jesus is here right now. You don't have to do anything I say, but Jesus is calling out to you right now. And he said, I love you so much. Look at my hands. Look at my heart. Will you not hear my voice? I'm calling to you. All you have to say is, my Lord and my God, help me, cleanse me, renew me, put me on my feet again. Give me hope with my family and where I've done wrong, forgive my sins. Jesus will hear that prayer and renew your life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The word of God says, old things have passed away, all things have become new. If that's the prayer you've made, he's heard it. And he's with you right now for time and for eternity.